Hey, it's Lori from Hike, sharing stories that inspire us to explore, wander, and live. Today's guest is Inspiring Girls Expeditions, where we talk about their tuition-free programs, including Girls on Ice Alaska. The program application is open for young women ages 16 to 17 until January 31st for summer 2020. I had learned about them through the Karen Project, one of my season one guests. Inspiring Girls Expeditions was one of their grant recipients. This program is expanding opportunity for girls in STEM, art, all while immersed in a wilderness experience on an Alaska glacier. This got me thinking about two experiences in my life that opened my eyes. One was spending two college summers in a foreign language program in Costa Rica, and that was filled with exploring rainforests, mountains, and beautiful beaches. And then a few years ago, I worked for several weeks in Alaska, where I got to see its beauty and wilderness firsthand. Inspiring Girls Expeditions is providing that transformative experience to young women that can't be found in an indoors classroom. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joanna and Sarah of Inspiring Girls Expeditions and the Girls on Ice Alaska program. Take a listen. I am here with Sarah and Joanna of Inspiring Girls Expeditions. Sarah and Joanna, can you go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves and your background and and then we'll get into the program and, and see what it's all about. Sure. Um, Well, thanks very much for having us, Lori. We're really excited to be here. I'm Joanna Young, and I am uh, newly starting as the director of the Alaska programs of Inspiring Girls Expeditions. And uh, but I've been involved in the organization for a number of years since about 2011 and helped to start up one of our programs. And maybe we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Um, yeah, my background is I'm a I'm a scientist. I just finished my PhD in glaciology, so I study glaciers. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, um, and I also did my master's in glaciology as well here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And um, but I also have a humanities background too, and I'm all also really interested in how humans connect to the outdoors. And um, I grew up spending summers at a cottage in cottage country, Ontario, where uh, we lived on a lake for two months every summer. And it was just such a formative time of my life that now I think I've kind of been pursuing similar sort of living situations ever since then. Um, Yeah, the outdoors has just always been really important part of who I am, I think. And so how long have you been then in Alaska? I've been here, I actually just had my 10th year anniversary here, and uh, which is crazy because I first came here for a master's and I, I arrived in January, and mid-January in Fairbanks is pretty shocking <laughs> when you get off the plane and it was minus 30 and it was dark, um, and I was fresh from a hot country, um, and I kind of got off the plane and remember thinking, uh, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> you know, I can, I can do this. <laughs> I can live here for a couple of years while I do my master's. I will make the best of it. And I just never knew I would fall so deeply in love with the place. And now it's been 10 years and I'm a homeowner and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. All right. So what about you, Sarah? 
Uh, so I'm Sarah Clement. I'm the program coordinator for Inspiring Girls Expeditions here in Fairbanks. Um, I, my background is in education and specifically outdoor education. So before moving up to Alaska for this job, I got my master's in environmental education at Western Washington University. Um, and then prior to that, I've been in the outdoor education world for several years, working for Outward Bound in Colorado and a couple of other smaller outdoor education programs before that and in uh, during my undergraduate years. Um, so you've pretty much always uh, been out in the outdoors, right? I mean, it seems like that's, uh, that's in your background. Yes, I have a, my family's joke is that uh, one year I asked my parents why, when I was a kid, why they never took me on normal vacations because our vacations were always camping on uh, doing these extreme, well, what I considered extreme outdoor adventures, which were, um, in retrospect, probably not all that extreme, but I but, just wanted to go. But back swimming. then, you just wanted to go to Disney, right? Or, you know, just yeah, the normal exactly. stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's what led you to where you are today. So, exactly. yeah. yeah. And so you are, are you located then in Fairbanks? Yes, uh, I live in Fairbanks as well. I've been here for almost two years. And uh, like Joanna, wasn't necessarily expecting to to fall in love with the place, but there's something about it. I'm also not going anywhere for a while. So I have never been to Fairbanks, but I did work in the Anchorage area um, on and off for a, it was basically a six month stint, not full time, but I'd be up there um, every every three weeks or so. And I, I definitely can understand how you fall in love with, uh, with the state. So, um, I'm actually, when I'm talking to you both, I'm going, Oh, I wish, I wish I was back. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. So tell me about inspiring girls expeditions. How did it get started? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a long and winding story. Um, but the first program started in 1999. So more than 20 years ago now, our inspiring girls expeditions director, who's named Aaron Pettit started the program and it began on, um, South Cascade Glacier in Washington and was a really small group at the time and had two instructors and, um, In 2002, they relocated to Mount Baker, and that's now become the permanent home of the Girls on Ice Washington program. And uh, that ran for about 10 years. And then in 2012, uh, myself and a couple of other graduate students uh, here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, under Aaron's mentorship, we started up a second program called Girls on Ice Alaska on a glacier here in the Alaska range. And uh, from there, it's just kind of snowballed. And a lot of women have been getting in touch over the years saying, I want to start a program like this in my area. I want to start a program like this, Um, maybe not on ice, not on a glacier, but in some kind of different outdoors capacity. And I want to focus on a slightly different aspect of science. Um, And so we've grown to have 
several other programs, including um, some Girls on Ice programs in Switzerland and Canada. And we have a Girls on Water sea kayaking program that's focused on marine biology. And we have a Girls in Icy Fjords sea kayaking program where they kind of explore the interface between glacier and ocean here in Alaska. And also a Girls on Rock expedition that's rock climbing in Colorado. So it's really just taken off. And uh, the idea is that each of the programs is a science and art and wilderness program. And the participants really get to explore uh, a different landscape through all of those three different lenses. And so how long are, I guess, uh, to ask, how long are the programs? Is it a week at a time? Is it a month? Is it a weekend? Or or does it vary? Uh, Right now, they're all the same. They all follow a very similar format. Uh, Each expedition is 12 days. And the team spends eight of those days at their base camp in the fields, and then a couple of days on each end of the expedition getting ready and then cleaning up and when they come back. And this is all obviously for the name for girls, um, getting uh, young women in the outdoors. What are the age groups of the girls that are attending? So our age requirement for applicants is that they be 16 or 17 years old on June 1st of the expedition year. We found that that was the easiest way to uh, to set a limit on on who can apply. Uh, so some of the girls might be 18 by the time they by the time the expedition starts later in the summer, but they're all 16 or 17 on June 1st. So that's interesting. Um, why the that specific age group? Is it just from the skill, you know, some older, or um, is there a reason of targeting, you know, 16 and 17 year olds? Yeah, it's intentional. It was a, a specific choice to target that age group. Um, 16 and 17 year olds are in the last couple of years of high school. And Um, it's just such a formative time of life, I think, for so many people. Um, And a lot of the girls are starting to think about whether or not they might like to go to college, uh, to think about what the next step in life might look like for them. And so the program is is all about, um, you know, during some of those most complicated, vulnerable years of being in high school, it's about showing um, some of the options that are available to them in terms of different interesting careers that they maybe were never able to envision before or didn't even know existed before. Um, But beyond that, even if they don't end up becoming professional scientists or mountaineers or artists like the instructors, it's really more about instilling self-confidence and showing them um, what they're capable of and what it looks like to really put their mind to something and to, you know, succeed uh, through challenges. And it's really about, yeah, inspiring confidence and um, and curiosity about the world and uh, just serving as a general source of inspiration as a whole, I would say. And let's take, for example, the uh, Girls on Ice Alaska program. Are you seeing people from all over Alaska? Is it also the lower 48 Who's attending? Uh, so the programs are, it, it, the answer is it kind of depends on the expedition. Uh, for our programs in Alaska, we 
prioritize applicants living in Alaska. So we do see uh, quite a few Alaska residents on Girls on Ice Alaska and Girls on Water in particular. But a lot of our other expeditions are open to applicants from all over the United States. Um, so we select, we see girls coming from uh, the Southeast, the Northeast, the Midwest, uh, every folks are applying from all over the country, which is really exciting. And then um, our Girls on Ice expeditions in other countries, Canada and Switzerland, prioritize applicants from those countries. And that makes sense. Um, so I, I'm i thinking, you know, I have a 16-year-old, and I think, oh, this would be such an interesting experience to give to her. But, uh, you know, one of the things is, how do you encourage young girls to apply and to kind of think in their head of, yes, um, I want to try this. I'm going outside my comfort zone. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. It really just depends on on the girl, on the participant, or the applicant. Um, some don't need to see many encouragement need need any encouragement at all. They, uh, you know, um, maybe heard about the program a year ago or two years ago and have been waiting to be the right age. And as soon as applications open, they're they're submitting their application, which is so wonderful. Um, on the other hand, yeah, definitely, you know, some applicants need a bit of a nudge. And we find that um, teachers and parents uh, can be among the biggest encouragers We've certainly had teachers support uh, girls in getting their applications in, making sure everything comes in on time, you know, maybe helping um, by reviewing the answers after the girl has written them. Um, but I think some, you know, ways to, to instill some excitement about the opportunity are to talk about how it's an opportunity to visit uh, a really remote location that most people will never get to go to. And the environments where we run our programs are really out there, really backcountry locations. It takes days to get to these spots. And once we're there, we tend to have the whole place to ourselves. And that means experiencing whatever the weather has to throw at us and, you know, really being in the elements and seeing the gorgeous sunshine when it's out and being in the rain when that's happening. And it's just it's such an opportunity to get to a corner of the world that you might never see otherwise. One of the best aspects of the program, I think, too, is that it is a, it's a free program for participants. Uh, completely tuition free. So Inspiring Girls Expeditions are all grant funded and uh, supported by gear companies and uh, philanthropic foundations. And so there's no cost at all to the participant. And that removes a barrier to access for a lot of participants who maybe wouldn't have considered something like this otherwise or wouldn't have thought that such a thing existed that uh, they can go to even if they're not able to, you know, financially get themselves on on a program like this, because the, you know, the costs to get to some of these spots are, are quite high, but we support that so that the girls don't have to take that burden on or their families. So a question about that then. So the cost of of once they get there and then the whole program and then say they are flying from out of, of state or they 
then, you know, getting the ticket and able to get to the location. And then from there on, it's it's a funded program. Uh, correct. Yeah. So we cover the cost of the tuition and the food and the gear, like Joanna was saying, while, while the expedition is ongoing. And then for travel, we do ask all of the selected participants to cover their travel if they're able to. And then if they need some assistance, we can step in and help with um, with that, whether that's through uh, helping them strategize some fundraising opportunities uh, or asking their schools if they're able to support attending a program like this. Um, so we find that asking participants to contribute a little bit of money towards their travel cost or paying for the whole thing if they're able gives them a sense of ownership over the expedition and helps them feel invested in this experience that they're about to have. And then it also helps us provide the opportunity to more people by helping some of that base. What is some of the feedback that you've gotten from girls who've attended who have, you know, kind of come in day one and then, and, you know, day 12 and beyond of, you know, sharing their experience and telling others of, of what it meant to them? I would say it it varies a lot from participant to participant. And the programs cover so many different aspects. One aspect is that the, the teams are all meeting each other for the first time. So it's a big, uh, you know, new social experience for all the participants. And they're meeting new people from all over the place, um, potentially from different, very different life backgrounds than them. So a lot of them speak about how impactful it was to have this really special shared experience with people who started as strangers but end up being lifelong friends. Another aspect is that we uh, have professional scientists as instructors. And so the girls get to see what um, field science looks like and how uh, learn how to design an experiment and uh, collect data and then synthesize their data um, that they collected themselves in the field. So that's really powerful. And a lot of them who are um, interested in science uh, walk away feeling as though they're better able to envision themselves as a scientist in the future. And um, having been with scientist instructors helps them understand that, you know, scientists are human too, and not just white men with crazy hair and lab coats, but <laughs> outdoors people and people with other hobbies and uh, women. And it really helps them to to be able to envision themselves in a role like that if, if they're so inclined. And uh, similarly with the we we often have an artist instructor as well, and that can be really inspiring for some of the participants to see, um, you know, a professional artist uh, living her life and succeeding in art. And similarly with uh, the mountaineering guide or the sea kayaking guide who also goes on every expedition, uh, that kind of opens uh, a window into the world of having those sorts of professions. But even if they're not necessarily interested in any of those professions down the road. It's it's really just meant to be a source of inspiration. And so we hear about that from the girls a lot. You know, um, I didn't realize that, you know, people can do things like this. And this is what a, um, a life and a job can look like. And it's really meant to yeah serve as a source of inspiration. And we get a lot, a lot of feedback along those lines. 
And like you were saying, this whole experience helps build their confidence and obviously their backcountry skills or, you know, whatever they're uh, attempting. Or, you know, like you said, it's, uh, you know, some programs on the rock climbing or, you know, on the glacier or, or, you know, all of that. So it's definitely giving them a lot of experience in attempting things and seeing, you know, success and teamwork. Very much. You know, you said you also have an artist as part of these programs. I'm curious about uh, how that fits in. So can you give me an example of one of the expeditions and how uh, the art piece fits into it? Yeah. Um, in Girls on Ice Alaska, we often have an artist instructor along and um uh, her name is Clara Mache, and she's a professional artist. And one of her uh, strongest capabilities is in doing um, art um, in plain air. So she paints and creates huge canvases of art um, while sitting in the backcountry and physically looking at the landscape that she's painting. Um, so she, as an instructor, is able to talk about that process with the participants and talk about um, what it takes to be able to do expeditionary art, you know, and to consider uh, how to manage rain, how to manage cold and paints freezing, and uh, how to manage a wet canvas <laughs> and strapping that to a pack and getting it out of the backcountry to a place where it can dry. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And um, I think what the art really provides on an expedition is a way to see the same landscape through a completely different lens. And so we spend lots of time talking about science and, and how you can look at, say, for example, looking at um, a mountain ridge line, you know, a scientist might look at that mountain ridge and think, um, okay, how did that come to be? You know, what forces shaped the earth here? Was it glaciers? Was it tectonics? You know, water erosion? How did these ridges come to be? And how did they get that shape? And an artist, on the other hand, might look at the exact same ridge line and think, okay, where are the shadows? And where are the highlights? And what colors are there in here that the normal eye maybe wouldn't pick out or wouldn't appreciate? And how can I represent that with a paintbrush or other media and how can I capture the texture in this scene? And then on the other hand, you know, our mountaineering guide might look at the same view and think, um, how can we travel from point A to point B? Should we use that gully? Is that an avalanche zone? Uh, is, is there danger of rockfall here? You know, does this look like a nice route to go up? So we talk about just how each of these different lenses um, is really able to pick out some different aspect of the landscape. And we also talk about how nobody needs to live their entire life within one, <laughs> one lens whatsoever, but um, that each of them has something to contribute to the others. And, and that's the beauty of interdisciplinary thinking. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of, a lot of just opening your mind to, like you said, all the different possibilities all the different approaches, um, having all those diverse viewpoints together. It seems like, like you were saying, it's, it's giving a whole different approach. Mm -hmm. I'll add that I think that structure also really parallels what we have going on with having 
a team of participants who are from all different kinds of backgrounds. They have different life histories. They come from maybe different socioeconomic circumstances, uh, maybe cultural differences, ethnic differences, um, you know, different personalities, different hobbies, uh, different interests in science or lack thereof, and uh, art and mountaineering as well. And, and so the structure of having instructors who see the world through different lenses, I think also really parallels what we see with the girls and, and how much they're able to share with each other and learn from each other based on their different life histories and stories. And that's another really beautiful part of the program. And, and again, like you said, Laurie, it's just really about opening minds to all the different ways there are of sort of seeing and experiencing the world. And so our participants is it usually just a, a one-time thing? I know it's for 16 and 17-year-olds, but or do you see anyone doing more than one program? Uh, we would love to see our alumni come back as uh, we have a lot of volunteers who help out with each expedition, and we would love to see alumni come back as instructors down the road. Uh, we do have a policy that if you do an expedition, then it's uh, kind of a once, once a once one experience. One, yeah, I guess we'll, as I as a student, and then hopefully right. come back as a volunteer instructor. Right, and that's mostly because we have uh, such limited capacity to offer this experience to girls that we want to be able to reach as many folks as we can. So, speaking of reaching people. What are some ways that you get the word out and that you try to encourage uh, young girls to apply? What are some um, avenues that you're uh, you're using right now? Well, most of our publicity actually comes from word of mouth. So alumni going home and telling their friends and family about their experience, maybe giving a presentation at their school, posting on social media, getting another in telling about their experience to the world in whatever way that they can. And that has been remarkably successful so far. But in other ways, we also, I mean, we have our own social media accounts and our instructors often give presentations on the expeditions that they've led. And we also are really fortunate to partner with some really amazing institutions like the University of Alaska Fairbanks and Oregon State University uh, that are able to help us get the word out, especially to our local communities. From the application process, how do people apply? How do the young girls uh, apply? And is there a certain period of when they apply? Or is this a year-round application process? We actually have our applications open for summer 2020 right now. Uh, it is not a year-round process. We only have our application open for about six weeks in the winter time. So we opened the application in mid-December of 2019. And the last day for applicants to start their application is January 31st of this year. So just a couple more weeks. Um, and part of the application process, can you just give a little overview of, of what that entails? Sure, yeah. So we have an online application, uh, which can be accessed on our website, inspiringgirls.org. Um, and the participants have to, or applicants have to go through some basic information, you know, telling us who they are and where they live and how to get in touch with them. 
And we ask a variety of questions that are designed to give us a rounded picture of who the applicant is. So we ask them a couple of questions about their interests and hobbies and experiences. And we also ask them things like, why do you want to participate in this program? And what makes you uniquely you? Tell us about who you are and uh, what you're passionate about. And when we're reviewing the applications in the spring, that last piece is really what we're looking for. We want to see applicants that are passionate about something, whether it's a particular subject in school or their after-school job or their community. It can be anything as long as they can communicate to us why they're passionate about it. So things that you won't see on our application are requests for grade transcripts. We don't ask applicants to report how well they do in school. And we also don't ask for anything like a resume. We're not necessarily looking for girls who have the top grades or participated the most after school activities or, you know, are the best in their sport. Uh, we really are looking for girls who are passionate about something and are willing to challenge themselves in trying something new. The other thing that I'll add uh, is we also need or we also ask applicants to submit to teacher recommendations with their application and it's a specific form on the on the website that the recommenders fill out so we we tell folks when they're starting their application make sure you ask your teacher recommenders as soon as you start your application so they have enough time to fill it out before the application is due and so the application starts, or the very latest it can start, you said, is January 31st. Um, and then it's just part of the process um, of maybe going back and forth, or do they have to, um, what would lead beyond that date? Yeah, uh, so the actual, the final applications are due on February 7th, so a week later. And we have this sort of staggered last day to start and last day to submit, uh, because we found that in the past, we get a wave of folks signing up to apply just a f you know, couple hours before the deadline, and they uh, flood our email inbox with questions about, about starting the application. And so we would rather give priority to folks who have started their application earlier and might need a little extra support in the last few days before it's due, and we wanna make sure that we have enough resources to give help to those folks. So we give a week in between the last day to start your application and the last day to submit it, which the last day to submit is February 7th this year. And about how many young girls are applying or, or have you seen, I guess, in, in recent years? Uh, it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> Not unfortunately, it's wonderful that we have so many people applying. The only unfortunate thing is that we just don't have the capacity to uh, offer spots to everyone who applies. Um, so we typically, this year, I think we're going to have between uh, 46 and 64 spots. And unfortunately, we'll get more applicants than that, but we offer as many spots as we can. <laughs> I think one thing I've really noticed too about the number of applications we get is that it points to how much of a need there is for tuition-free programs for youth. There is really not very many other programs out there who can offer 
the kind of thing we're offering um, without cost at all to the participant. And I think that's really special um, about Inspiring Girls Expeditions is that we are providing what would otherwise be a really exclusive and expensive opportunity to girls from all different kinds of backgrounds and completely for free. So what we would love to see is, you know, even more programs out there with a similar kind of mission as us um, so we can start offering the opportunity, you know, as a community to, to even more of the of the high number of applicants that we get. And yeah, that's a good point. And I know there are, at least starting, I'm, I'm hearing more and more about programs out there are starting to come up about getting uh, young girls in the outdoors and opening up uh, different uh, different types of possibilities. Um, and I'm sure some of, uh, of the funding and, and people that are supporting you are some of those grantors who are who are encouraging that to happen. If people what if people just want to also support your program? You know, they don't have a, they're not of age or they don't have a, a child of age or, or anyone that they can, you know, want to go, but they want to figure out a way that they can volunteer or, or somehow donate. What are some ways that they could do that? Uh, I'll talk about volunteer opportunities first. Uh, we do, we have a number of ways that folks can help us out with running these expeditions. They are enormously logistically intensive. (laughs) Um, One of the most classic ways, opportunities for volunteering that we have uh, are, is what's called, or what we call gear ferrying. Um, We recruit anywhere between, I don't know, six and 20 women to help us ferry uh, gear between the trailhead and base camp for our mountaineering programs because uh, these programs are long. The team is going out there for eight days. They have to carry all of their food and gear and everything that they need to survive for eight days. And on top of that, they also have to carry all of this science and art equipment. So it's really, um, it's a lot to carry. So we we recruit gear fairies to help us ferry that gear in to base camp every year and then help carry it out at the end too. And that opportunity is really unique because the participants will get to spend 12 days with their instructors and see what their instructors do as Joanna was talking about earlier in their professional lives and draw some inspiration from uh, their instructors experiences. Uh, But the gear fairy opportunity also gives the participants an the opportunity to look or to talk to other women who are scientists, artists, outdoors people um, who have a different set of perspectives that they can learn from. So we have a couple of structured activities on the hikes in where the participants get the chance to learn from the gear fairies and the gear fairies get a chance to learn from the participants. Um, So that's sort of our most widely available and popular volunteer activity. And then other ways where we can always use help with volunteering on um, things like our social media accounts or helping with um, grant writing if folks are interested in that and just some day-to-day logistics of running this program. If folks are interested in volunteering, they can always get in touch with us to to talk about what they might be able to offer. 
the other thing moving on towards um towards funding and donations we do we have a strong community of donors who help make our programs run every year and without them we would not be able to run so we're always grateful for any gifts that donors are able to provide and all of the information for how to donate is on our website it is a little bit more complicated than your average nonprofit in the United States because we are uh, programs of the universities that we partner with. So Girls on Ice Alaska and Girls on Water is a program through the University of Alaska Fairbanks. So if folks want to donate to us, they donate to the University of Alaska Foundation, which uh, then funnels the money towards us. But all of that information is on our website. Okay. And again, the website is www.inspiringgirls.org. Okay. So are the expeditions just solely in the summertime? Uh, At the moment, yes. There's been some whispering of girls on snow at some point in the past, but at this point, since it is for 16 and 17-year-olds, summer break is when we're most likely to, or when they're most likely to be available. Yes, exactly. And tell me, I guess, a little bit about the girls on ice in Alaska and about the the glacier program. I I guess if you can explain a little bit more about uh, what that's about. Sure. Um, Well, the program uh, in Alaska is on the Gulcana Glacier, which is in the Alaska range. And it's about a four hour drive from Fairbanks and then maybe another half hour down a very unmaintained road, (laughs) Um, possibly hiking parts of it. And uh, that's kind of our trailhead. Um, From there, to get to the glacier, to get to our base camp is about a five mile hike. And, um, but the difference between Alaska and some other parts of the continent, I would say is that this is uh, primarily off trail travel uh, this is really, um, yeah, there's a lot of fancy footwork involved in getting up to our base camp. So the girls um, start out by walking in a glacial river valley for about a mile or mile and a half with lots of cobbles and sand. And then after that, we get to uh, a river crossing. And this is a milky, turbid, cold, very close to freezing temperatures because it's just melted glacial river and we cross that and do it you know two at a time or three at a time and and practice our safe river crossing methods to get across that freezing cold feet by the time we get to the other side and it's kind of a rite of passage though it ends up being one of the most exciting parts of the hike in I think and uh, after that, we have we get onto the toe of the glacier, but it's hard to tell because it's completely covered in rocks and glacial cobbles that are very sharp and pointy and rickety. And so there's lots of hiking over that. And right at the end, we do get to some bare glacier ice. And this is a really special moment for a lot of the girls who are hiking in because they've never been on a glacier before and stood on ice and had that as part of their experience. So it's a really cool moment. And we set up our camp right at the base of a small ice fall. And uh, an ice fall is kind of the equivalent in a glacier to a waterfall would be in a river. So it's 
a portion of glacier ice that's pouring over this um, steep part of rock. And as it's going over, it, it breaks up and it ends up um, in all these chunks. And it's really dramatic looking. And if you, so we camp a safe distance away from it, but it still looks really imposing and really gorgeous just out the tent doors. And when we spend eight days there, through the course of that time, you hear and see parts of the glacier, little chunks of ice and big chunks of ice tumbling over this ice fall. And it's really neat to be able to see sort of the glacier in motion like that and see what a dynamic landscape it is. And uh, sometimes in the middle of the night, you'll hear this huge crashing thunder sound and everyone will unzip the tents and look outside and be like, did you see it? Did you see it fall? It's, it's really neat. Yeah. And then we spend eight days out there. Um, we hike to all different corners of the glacier. Um, the girls learn how to use crampons on their feet on the bare ice, and they learn how to travel on rope teams, which is a climbing technique that we use um, so that you can safely navigate through areas with crevasses and um, rely on one another in case someone should put a foot in a crevasse or uh, take a fall, but we've never had that happen. We're very safe. All of these skills they're learning there with with your instructors and and they don't have to come into the program knowing how to do any of this. That's right. Yeah. No, we've got, you know, fresh new participants who may have never even worn hiking boots before or carried a backpack in the backcountry before. And we teach them everything they need to know. And it's really about teamwork and support and uh, each member of the team, you know, taking the weight that they're capable of and, um, being supported by one another in different ways. And uh, yeah, by the end of it, they're traveling on rope teams, wearing crampons and carrying their own packs that can be, you know, 30 to 40 pounds. It's a really incredible transformation to see them learn what they're capable of. And then they can go back to their school and to their friends and say, I have been on an expedition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah powerful. Mm -hmm. I would say that one of the unique factors or unique aspects of Girls on Ice Alaska that gets talked a lot about both before and after the expedition uh, that is unique to Girls on Ice Alaska is that we usually hold it in June of every year and we get 24 hours of daylight up Uh, here. Yes. Uh, That happens. And so uh, when Joanna talks about the ice fall crashing in the middle of the night and people peeking outside to say, did you see it? Did you see it? It's because they actually could potentially see it because it's out. (laughs) Uh, And that's a really unique thing that our alumni talk about a lot. Yeah, much better than right now, um, you know, in December and January timeframe when it's, you know, five hours of daylight, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Yes. the opposite side of that. Yes. So yes, summertime, yeah, that that is uh having been in Alaska during summertime and experiencing, you know, a a very long day of uh daylight and then it it really just being more, you know, twilight or just, you know, it never really gets dark. Uh so I think yeah, that would be uh such an amazing experience for someone who's never, you know, had that before. Absolutely. So what, you know, I'm going to ask you now as we're kind of getting ready to to close out, what has been for both of you your favorite moment or experience um, as part of, of this program? It's such a good question and such a hard one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to pick one, but 
Some of my favorite, I actually, they wouldn't be, they're not the most dramatic, you know, they don't necessarily involve being on the glacier and being in the middle of it, the elements and a crevasse field or something like that. Those are memorable moments for sure. But for me, some of the moments that stand out the most are uh, when we come back from the program, uh, the girls, uh, or they bring together all of their, their data that they collected in the field for their science projects and synthesize it and give a public presentation on their findings to a public audience. And it is really incredible to see after they give their presentations, just these beams of like confidence emitting from these girls. And one of the you know, you can see it in them and you, and you know it's there, but some of the most special moments I've remembered are when parents get in touch with us and we always stream these uh, science presentations so that the parents can watch if, they, if they're available. And we've gotten some feedback from parents, um, from moms who say, you know, I like I burst into tears when I watched my daughter giving this presentation because she has never looked so confident in her abilities in science. She has never looked so confident in her public speaking. And to see that, you know, really gives them an impression of how much these girls have been supported by their team and by this team of instructors and just how far they've come over such a short period of time. I think those are my very favorite moments. I would echo that and just add that I have a little bit of a unique perspective from Joanna as the program coordinator. Uh, my responsibilities involve telling the participants that they've been selected and then helping them through the enrollment process. So uh, for the first, you know, throughout the spring and the first few months while they're getting ready for their expedition, I'm the one that they call to ask things like, do I take a shower or like, what am I going to do without my phone for eight days? And so to answer all of those questions and go through those conversations and then watch the public presentations at the end to see where they have come in the space of a few or how far they've gone in, in the space of a few short months is really incredible. Well, I think that your program is not only inspiring girls, but I think it's inspiring the community around those girls as they become young women, because obviously you're taking them through a process, through a growth, and and it's lasting, you know, it's going to last with them for their life. So I, I think this is a really, really amazing uh, program and opportunity for young women out there and I definitely encourage listeners, if they have someone who can participate or if they know someone who has someone who could participate, this is a great opportunity. Again, it's free, uh, free of, of, of tuition for the expedition itself. And I imagine just what they're going to take back and be able to bring home with them besides just the hands-on uh, scientific portion. But like you said, the confidence, the the friendships, the ability to kind of see all the different perspectives and the, uh, you know, the world through a different lens. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. And so again, the best way for people to get more information is to go out to your website. And of course, I'll put a link in my show notes. And then where else can they find you guys or on social media can we point them to? 
Yeah, we have a Facebook account, Inspiring Girls Expeditions, and uh, an Instagram of the same name um, that we would love to. We post photos from our expeditions and use social media as a way to keep our, our alumni and our larger community engaged, and we would love to grow that larger community. Well, I thank you, Joanna and Sarah. I thank you both for taking time out of your day to talk to me about this program, um, help me understand it a little better, as well as really educate uh, the listeners as well to uh, the opportunity that's out there. And I really hope that uh, you get over an overflowing of uh, in your inbox again, and hopefully more spots will open up as the program grows. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, Lori. It was great to talk to you. And thanks so much for, yeah, just creating this this space and this opportunity for us to share what we're working on. And um, I think we're definitely admirers of the work you're doing, too, to, um, yeah, help uh, spread the word about programs like ours. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Joanna and Sarah. To learn more, check the show notes and Whether you want to apply to this program, you know someone, or you want to be a volunteer or supporter, you can find more information by checking out inspiringgirls.org. I would love it if you let me know what you think about this episode. You can do that by leaving me a review on iTunes, by emailing me hikepodcast at gmail.com, or following me on social media and leaving me a message there at The Hike Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, see you on the trail.